I'll reference several times this morning back to last week's message. So if you haven't listened to last week's message, go back and listen to it. Um, we, we have a champion. We have a savior that challenged the forces of evil, went to their doorstep, knocked on it, said, hey, I'm here to stay, challenged them on their own turf, and then headed towards Jerusalem. Jesus went to, I believe, the very place, the front door of hell, if you will, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he said, listen, I'm challenging the forces of evil. I'm, I'm here to stake claim on all the nations, not just Israel. I, I'm here to reverse the curse. I, I'm here to claim back territory that was rightfully mine from the beginning. So, so know that as we enter into Holy Week, as we enter into the celebration of what Jesus did, know that he did it to claim you back, to purchase you as a son or daughter. How many are cold now already? Wow. Is uh, Jen here? If Jen's here, we'll just turn those fans down. Awesome. Thank you, Jen. So I'm going to refer back and forth to that uh, a few times throughout the service. But here's what I wanted to do real quick before we jump into our Palm Sunday. No, this is Palm Sunday, right? The celebration. Uh, I thought it was helpful to look back at what some, some churches and traditions have done through the years. So uh, forgive my Latin here. According to the Opus Imperfectum, an ancient commentary of Matthew, in the liturgies, the new people greet Christ as victorious king and redeemer of the world. The permanently green palm branches are a symbol of life and insignia triumphorum. They are a sign of Jesus' victory over the devil, the prince of death, Alcuin writes in forceful hexameters, the palm is a sign of your triumph, great Christ the King. The palm teaches us to conquer the flesh. The palm is the sign of our future reward in heaven. The palm branches signify Jesus' victory over the prince of death. The triumph of Christ also brings visible uh, in the artistic portrayals of antiquity and the Middle Ages. Thus, the basic mood of the processions is an Easter mood. Palm Sunday is characterized not by lowliness, but by victory. All of this and the sources are cited in your program for you to scroll through. So uh, understanding kind of how many have ever been in a church where it was like a procession of palm branches coming down for Palm Sunday. This started centuries ago. Uh, early in the Middle Ages, the consecration of the palm was associated with the palm processions. Palm branches in northern areas replaced by such things as the willow or thorn palm branches. If you're in Florida, you know what that is. Uh, thorn palm branches uh, were brought into the church and dedicated. Sometimes entire trees were made that were carried around. That's what we should have Pastor Cody do. Just carry around whole palm trees just in consecration for what the Lord is doing on Palm Sunday. Listen, this evolved not only to that, but then making wooden donkeys with wheels on them that look like toys for humans, right? And then some of them would ride on that and they would cart the donkey in with the procession covered in palm fronds. And then I thought, I thought this was funny. Historically, of course, this is the crowd that was going to get irritated with it. They were the fundamentalists of the day. The reformers protested energetically against such practices. They're against everything. And against the processions with the palm donkey, they regarded the wooden god showered with branches that is the palm donkey as idolatry. 
In 1522, the Zurich palm donkey was drowned in the Limit River. <laughs> I love this. Reformers like Luther and Zwingli were like, uh-uh, take that thing and go drown it in the river. We ain't doing that in my church. How many have been a part of a church in the past where you're drowning donkeys? Because that's idolatry. Anybody? It's just funny watching the story of Palm Sunday and how it evolved through the ages. Here's this. Here's what Luther had to say. Luther poured ridicule on the cult of palm donkey relics, saying that the sale of the palm donkey legs was such a thriving business in Italy that the donkey on which Jesus rode must have had five legs. Oh my goodness gracious. Even in Catholic areas, the importance of the palm donkey processions was diminished in the 16th century, and by the enlightened 18th century, it had almost completely died out, and I say thank you, hallelujah, because I'm just going to read the next chapter and the next verse, and I didn't have to worry about, I'd still be here whittling away on my wooden palm donkey, uh, making it. I'm thankful that we don't need those illustrations. Uh, so how do we celebrate Palm Sunday at Bethlehem Church? How do we kick off Holy Week and, and, and begin this path towards Resurrection Sunday? Here's what we do at Bethlehem. We read the Bible. <laughs> we go to the text. We go to the story. And we let the scriptures uh, expose the story in such a way that the Spirit of God can work. H how many believe that through this story, the triumphant entry of our Savior, knowing last week, I'm going to say it again, go back and listen to last week's message, our Savior is, I mean, he is walking into Jerusalem. You know what I mean? Like, he, he knows what he's doing. When he rides in on that donkey, he has a purpose. Go back and listen to last week's message. But how are we going to celebrate and kick off Palm Sunday looking towards Easter? We're going to do it by reading the story and going to the text. Hurry, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. We may read a few more verses there. Man, I got to get there. My goodness gracious. And here we go. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once, you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. <laughs> I'm going to try this tomorrow. I'm going to go find the nicest car I can and say, hey, I'm going to take this. The Lord needs it, and I'm going to see if they give me their keys and let me drive off with their car. What do you think is going to happen, huh? You think it's going to work? No, I'll be locked up. They won't let me out. I ain't going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Can you imagine what the Lord said? He says, look, disciples, you think it's bad working for the pastor in 2021. What was it like working for Jesus? Yo, go steal some stuff. We about to take over Jerusalem. <laughs> That's literally what's going on here. This is how Baltimore people look at the story. Only us. Where's the wooden donkeys? No, we're like, yeah, he just jacked that dude's donkey and coal. Oh, my goodness gracious. Bunch of thieves. Bunch of thieves. No, I'm kidding. But, man, you guys are stuffy this morning. Good thing I turned the air on. Y'all are like, maybe it was worship. People going to the altar during, during worship. That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> Put your wooden donkey in the water and drown it. It's okay. We don't need tradition. Think about this. Think about it. The odd story is Jesus says to them, go take that guy's donkey. And when he says, what are you doing? Get off my donkey. Just say the Lord needs it, and he'll let you have it. There's so much there. Let's keep reading. Verse number five. Uh, <laughs> if I can find it. Verse number four. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I, this is the part of scripture that I love. I love, 
Listen, if you don't actively read the Bible and study the Bible, you are missing out. You're missing out. These guys like Matthew, reading Matthew, they didn't have Matthew. They wrote that later. Could have been transcribed by another disciple, but this was their eyewitness account. Imagine us in hindsight knowing what happened. What did they have? They had the Old Testament. They had the Septuagint. They had the Old Testament in Greek, and that's what they read. So these guys are literally fulfilling scriptures, and they're like, oh my goodness. This is exactly, they didn't even get it at the time, what was said in Zechariah 9.9. Look at Jesus' words. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went, I got to read quick. Does that say what I think it says? Oh, my goodness. The disciples went. Somebody shut that clock off. Kick it. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them. And he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then then the crowd who went ahead of them, uh, of those, and those who followed, shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12, Jesus went into the what? Temple. And threw out all of those buying and selling. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves doves. That's key. Don't miss it. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a what? House of prayer. But you are making it a den of thieves. Last part of the scripture, keep reading, verse 14 to 17. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. What were they indignant about? The rulers of the temple? They were indignant about people getting healed and children being a part of this. Jesus replied, yes, have you never read? Old Testament again. You have prepared praise from the mouth of infants and nursing babies. Watch this. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. And spent the night there. We see here, listen fast, I gotta talk fast. We see here prophecy being Fulfilled. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Understand that hundreds of years had passed since the prophet Zechariah had penned the very words that the Messiah would come on a donkey. Why is this significant? Because this is how he said it was going to happen, and it happened. Don't forget that Resurrection Sunday next week, there were over 500 people that witnessed him in his resurrection state. Listen, I'm not asking you to take my word for it. I'm saying take the other eyewitness accounts word for it. If this was something that was to stand trial, and it did, and there was a courtroom to make judgment, and it did, understand this, that there would be eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness. You go commit a crime today, and guess what? If there is a eyewitness, witness you going to jail they saw you stealing that donkey 
eyewitness account, multiple accounts. That's enough evidence, right? That's our scriptures, eyewitness account after eyewitness account, that this is exactly what the Lord had prophesied, and it was fulfilled, and it was done. I mind you, I want to point out a few things here today from our recent perspective that Jesus is our champion, that he is the one going before us. He is the man in two different spaces. He's fighting. He's fighting from a place that we could not go and fight from. We have our own sin. We have our own challenges. He who knew no sin, though, became sin for us, Scripture says. We have our champion that is going before us. From the perspective that he went, Mount of Transfiguration, he initiated the cosmic battle. He took it to their front door and he said, guess what? I'm coming back to reclaim my territory. And this is the story after he initiated the cosmic fight. So understand this. Our Savior, the first place he heads is toward Jerusalem. Why? Because it was prophetic. The, the feeling in the air, this is Passover week in Jerusalem. People are flocking to the temple. And I think, honestly, as we see this story play out, he comes to Jerusalem. And, and we're going to talk about three aspects of this story that I think, just three practical things that, that will really help you, that helped me. You know, t you know, really getting into Holy Week, three super practical things. But I just want to expound on the story a little bit. He comes... Of course, on this donkey, prophetically, we'll talk about that in a minute, but he heads to the temple. What, what did they want? What did the people want? This is Jesus. This is the one that has been doing the miracles. This is the one for three and a half years that's been making it happen. And understand this people. They were a people operating in their temple, in their own government, under an oppressive Roman government. They were a people that looked and longed for someone to overthrow the government that was over them and establish their own power. They were wanting a king, and if anybody can do it, it's Jesus. If anybody can do it, it's him. He'll come into town, and he'll head in to his new palace. But that's not the plan Jesus had. I'll say this to you. Our champion will make his way to the temple let me ask you this. What are you making your way into? This message will practically hit us on so many levels this week. But, but our Savior knew that God had a plan for his life. He knew that God's plan he had initiated was to head to Jerusalem and eventually head to the what? The cross. The hardest week of his life was ahead of him. And he, watch this, entered into it in a triumphant state. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna. The children said, Hosanna, what does that mean? It means save us, save us, save us. It was the cry of the children and the cry of the people that know that they needed a savior from the oppressive government, but I, wanna, I want you to see this, this is important. Their king didn't come in in a chariot, he came in on a donkey. Their king didn't arrive to his palace. He arrived at the temple. They wanted Jesus, this is so applicable, they wanted Jesus to fight a political battle and he was there for the spiritual one. Oh, we're ready to fight that political battle, shoot. Especially with this new administration, right? All my conservatives are like, 
Look, I'm right there with you. It's tough. But it ain't about the politics. It ain't about that. He saw something different. They were crying, save us, save us, and watch this. Save them, he did. Save them, he did, but not in the way they thought they needed saving. Let me ask you this this morning. We celebrate on Palm Sunday the triumphant entry into what began the most incredible week in human history. Listen, what are you entering into? Today, I'm going right for it. I'm going right for the heart of the matter. I know that there are people in this room this morning that are hurting, that are struggling, that are suffering, that are walking through tough things. Are you walking into them? Watch this. Are you entering into them? If you were Jesus, what would you have been like? I ain't going to Jerusalem. And I'm not saying it was easy. It was hard. It was the hardest thing he ever did. But how many Christians this morning will celebrate Holy Week and the only thing holy about your week is what Jesus did and there's nothing about your story that has triumph in it. If you miss that this morning, you've missed the whole boat. Jesus came for you. He came to give you something, to make it through your something so that we could have something and be something with him someday. Man, don't miss it. How many of you are avoiding walking into what the Lord has for you? Triumphant entry. Here's what my triumphant entry looks like. The fetal position. I'm not very flexible. Did you notice that? (laughs) I'm all trying to get down. (laughs) Man, I don't flex much. That's about all. (laughs) Some people are like, I'm like, that's about it. My mom called me husky growing up. Still damaged. Mom, if you're watching. No, I'm kidding. He's husky. He wears the 16H. Okay, I get it. No. You like that. You, you get it. Me and Mr. Dave, we're right there. We're husky people. Yeah, man. Oh, my goodness. These kids in their skinnies. I'm like, look, I'm ordering husky and they're still skinny. You know what I mean? (laughs) Where the heck was I? Listen. (laughs) Listen, I hope to equip you today to make a triumphant entry into your marriage, into your relationships, into your job, into whatever it is that's got you in the fetal position. Listen, I'm going to give you some practical help today to walk on in that thing and just make it happen. Why? Because it ain't you that's making it happen. He's already gone before you. Man, let's just dig in here. It wasn't a political battle. Jesus remains, I love this, I love this. Jesus remains focused on disrupting, watch, watch this. He stays focused. This is good for me. He remains focused on the plan. And what is that? He knows he's arriving at Jerusalem during a Passover week. That clock, man, I'm telling you. He arrives here during a Passover week. And he he ticks off the chief priests and scribes because he knows he has to do that in order to get to the what? Remember the botched trial that that happens. It's the chief priests, it's their internal government inside, the Sanhedrin, inside of the Roman government that they hold this botched trial. That's how he gets to the cross. It was all in his plan, but but watch watch how he does it. He goes into, and if you get the picture of this, Passover week, everyone comes to make their sacrifices. 
right? Everyone comes from all over, and this is the outer court of the temple is called the court of Gentiles. So many people think that Jesus was in some corner of the outer court of the temple, and that's where he initiated this running out thieves and robbers, right? So what I find interesting here is it says about the dove piece, they were uh, in the chairs of those selling, what does it say? Doves. The dove was the cheapest sacrifice. That's why he targeted them. Jesus was always the man for the, the nobody. Jesus was always the fighter for those that could not fight for themselves. The dove was the cheapest sacrifice. And what were they doing? They were charging exorbitant amounts on the cheapest sacrifice. What were they doing? They were targeting the poor. That's what was happening. And Jesus walks into the temple, the court of the Gentiles, and he says, I fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. He overturns the tables. Now watch this. What is this likened to? This is the best illustration I could think of off of the fly. <laughs> it's like Best Buy on a Black Friday before Amazon killed everything, right? You know what I mean? Like Best Buy on a Black Friday, it's like everyone has a TV in their hand. Everyone's got like a, an appliance or something that, you know, you ladies have been eyeballing the ads for weeks and you're there at like, you know, if there was an a.m. before 1 a.m., is there like midnight or whatever, you're there staked out with your tent. Ain't nobody getting that gaming system. I'm getting it for 200. I'm going to get three of them. I'm going to sell two of them on Facebook Marketplace next week. I'm about to get my deal shoot. And you guys are like staking your claim, right? Once again, not very flexible. There it is. It's like Black Friday in a retail environment, Best Buy. What happens if everybody's in there, they cut the ribbon, everybody runs in, they get their merchandise, and somebody goes over and hits the fire alarm? Can you imagine the store manager? No, 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 I just spit everywhere. This is not going to work. I, I literally need this one 24-hour period to make up the last quarter in sales. If, if you got to understand, this is Black Friday, and don't be pulling my fire alarms. And then it's like they, they come, the fire department checks it all out, right? Everything's fine. Come on in again. And then I walk up, and I hit it again. Everybody runs out. It would kill their business on the busiest day of the year. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's Passover week. Everyone was coming from all over to purchase their sacrifices, and Jesus walked in and said, Oh, come on, let's go. He wrecked their business on the busiest day of the year. That's what triggered the message to go to the chief priests and scribes. Your bottom line was just affected. Holy Week, the beginning, Jesus heads straight to the temple to hit them in their pocket. And then he goes in and does ministry. This is my man. I'm telling you, Jesus is my guy. I love the way he does ministry. He ticks off the people who are greedy, and he helps the poor. He goes after those that were selling the cheapest sacrifice. When he goes into the temple, we find here that what he does is he ministers to the blind and the lame, and that there's children, watch this, everywhere. There's kids all around him. And even though he hit them in the pocket financially, yeah, we got to do something about it. Here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 14 through 17. That's not what the chief priests and scribes are most concerned about. What are they most angry about? Look at it. Verse 14 through 17, it says this. 
then the blind and the lame came to him. He healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonders that he did and the who? Children shouting in the temple. Get these kids out of here. What in the world is going on? The children were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Ain't nothing like the faith of a child to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Man, if we ever get past ministering to the least of these, Katie, bar the door, circle the wagons, shut it down. If Bethlehem ever gets past helping the least of these and teaching and training our children and the purity that comes with that, we've missed the point. You've been in churches like that, right? It's just stuffy, same old, same old. I give my tithe to get my blessing back. You want to start a new ministry? Does it have to do with children? Go find another church. We've all been a part of things like that, situations like that. They were most upset about the kids running around. Listen, don't get upset about the kids running around the church. It's a blessing. We got more kids being born around here. Shoot, I got one, maybe two of them. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> they were most upset about the healing that was happening. And the kids running around. How did the Lord deal with this? I, listen to his quote. He tells him this. He says, Psalms 8-2. This is what the Lord was quoting. He quoted the Bible a lot, Jesus did. He said, I think I just turned my page where I needed it. There it is. He says, from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on the account of your adversaries. Jesus is like, literally the kids will tell you what the problem is. They missed the whole point. They missed the whole point. There are many things that we could focus in on, but I want to point out a few practical things about the story that will continue to build our focus to Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to give you three. Man, I'm doing good. Three practical things. How many need, how many need something to help them? You want the word of God to come alive and help you where you are. Anybody? Come on, can you need, you need some help today? Let me give you some help. Here's three things that I, I think are wonderful about this story. The first thing is that he rides in on a donkey. He rides in on a donkey. Yes, it was prophesied, but why did the Lord prophesy that? What is a donkey a picture of? Well, let's look at the opposite. If a man rides into a town and he comes in in a gold chariot with 24-inch rims, and a big old studly horse, what is he saying? I'm here to take over. I'm here for war. A horse says war. Is there anything about a donkey that says war? <laughs> That's like a Ford Fiesta of vehicles. You know what I'm saying? Check me out, yo. <laughs> it's a hybrid. Jesus came in in a Toyota hybrid. Don't take me out of context, lefties. The, the point, did I say that? I think I did just say that. But the point is this he comes in in this Prius. They expected him. Listen, these people were like, You, you got the power. You have, watch this. If you are the Son of God, you should have the authority to do what we believe you can do. You should have the other. If you're the son of God, if you're going to get baptized and the windows of heaven are going to come out and the spirit of God's coming down on you and anointing you, the Roman government is nothing for you to overthrow. Why don't you pull up Jesus in something that actually describes what you're going to do? 
I did. He came in humility. Don't miss this. Let me prophesy for you. If some of you will roll up in humility for the thing that you're rolling up to in pride, things will change for you. Things will change for you. (laughs) You'll experience breakthrough. You'll experience victory. You'll experience a resurrection Sunday. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has also exalted, highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The problem is, is we're trying to be God and roll up like God. And our God said, I don't roll up like that. What would happen if our Christians in our churches made a triumphant entry at work on a donkey? Let me tell you what would happen. The gospel would spread like wildfire. What would happen if you rolled up into your marriage on a donkey instead of a horse? I promise you it would be different. What would happen if we rolled up with our children and what they were watching? If we rolled up on a donkey instead of a horse, we would experience breakthrough that only humility can bring. 1 Peter 5, 5, it says this, In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Why? God resists the proud but gives what? Grace to the humble. I asked you just a few moments ago, what are you entering into right now? What door, an effectual fervent door has been opened, but if you go through it in some kind of chariot, you're going to miss the whole point. Our God entered into the most important week of Christianity and he entered into it with humility. Number one is is the transportation. Of this triumphant entry, what did the transportation look like? It was a donkey. Number two, the destination. The destination, I love this, it's the temple. He came to the temple. I said this in worship today for this reason. Look at it, 1 Corinthians, if you have your if you have your program there, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, whom you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Listen, Jesus arrives on the scene of the true battlefield. <laughs> you can't miss this. Can't you see that some, sometimes the devil plays the misdirection thing and has our destination so skewed I've won that battle. I showed them. Shoot. Teach them. Come at me like that. Squash that. What did you win? I won it. Well, what's it? It's it. I feel good about me. Oh, do you now? Sometimes I think we have the destination all wrong. I taught my child a lesson. What was that lesson? They know. They know what I'm saying. Do they? I'm not sure that that's going to lead to a good destination for them. The transportation has to be humility if we're looking 
for a destination of the temple. Listen, Jesus was concerned. Here's the point, the crux of it. He's concerned with your heart. We're concerned by nature with job, success, everything that the world, you know. I think, was it First John? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the what? World. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth for what? KJV. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, not sorry. The point is this. If your destination is a worldly one, then you're looking for a palace to pull up to. He just wanted the temple. He just wants you. He doesn't want what you can do. He wants your heart. Don't you know that, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? From the, the gospel is a transfer, transformation from the what? Inside what? Out. Don't, don't follow the devil's lead in misdirection and reach a destination that the Lord was never concerned with. And I, I, they're tied. If we get the mode of transportation right, humility, we'll arrive at the right destination. But, but I want you to see this. He was concerned with his arrival at the temple. I just want so bad in 2021. Why? Because I feel like God has equipped us so well. What we could do in the Philippines, if, we actually, if, the, if the church of God gave sacrificially, if every church, right, if every church in America gave sacrificially, and I'm not, I'm not picking on you, I'm just saying. Like, it's statistically, it doesn't happen. But think about what we could do if our destination was gospel-centered. That's what I'm saying. Like, this all, it all goes together. It goes together with how we do our jobs and our careers. How a Christian approaches the corporate ladder versus corporate people that are within that system that they're really concerned about. It's everything. The gospel mindset should permeate our lives to where we travel with the mode of humility and we reach the destination of a heart, of a heart. And unfortunately, Christians are just as guilty of stepping on people as these unfaithful leaders of the temple were. The second thing is the transportation, the destination. Number three, his occupation. And this just sums it all up. Jesus' occupation was healing the sick, blind, dumb, lame, and ministering to the children, right? I, I, I just want to, like, correlate that because it wasn't a physical place, the temple. It was, but it wasn't, right? We find from Paul's writings, Jesus' words, that he was specifically talking about our hearts, how do we connect the fact that how he did ministry connects to the way we should be doing ministry and we should be living? Here's, here's, here's what it is. The people that couldn't help themselves. We have got to stop judging the lost for being lost. We have, as the church, we have got to stop judging the lost for being lost people. The lame, the blind, the children... The dove targeting the dove, dove, Doug, targeting the dove sacrifices. Jesus was fighting for those who couldn't fight for themselves. Listen to me, here, here's how that translates for us. We ought to see people's blindness that they cannot see. I think of Ephesians 2. You were once twofold a child of wrath. You were once blind and are now healed. 
you once could not see. You once were lost, but now are what? The same analogy works. The occupation for every Christian believer should be this. When I enter into this situation and into this season, my concern is to save the lost. My concern is giving blind eyes sight. My concern, I'm not diminishing physical healing. I believe that the Lord physically heals. I believe that. And different people believe it different ways, but I think the focus here, just like the temple is the heart, is on his gospel ministry or to those who could not help themselves. Listen, the people who have it figured out are not the people who we are concerned with. We need to love those people too. But I think we miss easy opportunities to share the gospel with people that are ready because we're not focused on it. Every believer has an occupation of reaching the lost. Every believer. If your occupation in the church has faded from reaching people and it's more about your area of service, be careful. Be careful. Because this is the litmus test. How is what you're doing reaching the lost? Let me ask you the question again. What are you entering into? Triumphant entry. More like a fetal position crawl. I get it, it's tough. Life hits us hard sometimes, doesn't it? It hits us hard. Here's some helpful hints. Let's approach it with humility. Hey, it's, it's okay, everybody has tough, tough things that they walk into. How about the Lord give you grace rather than the Lord resist you during your tough time? How many want grace? Let's just be humble people. What about the destination? Uh, it's more about a place for me, you know? It's more about an experience. It's about your heart. I'm gonna be real, just cut right to it. When was the last time you experienced the Lord in your heart? When was the last time you had revival in your soul and you were like, oof, the king is here? 